Welcome to The Network, our attempt at creating a modern podcast version of the Negro Motorist Green Book. If you don't know anything about the Green Book, I invite you to Google it. With each interview, we are building a network of talented professionals that you can reach out and touch. Every episode is an invaluable resource for black people living in and traveling through America. Subscribe to The Network. You may need it. Tonight's guest is Mr. Dion Dorsett. Dion is the 10th president of the Houston Area Urban League Young Professionals, a group that has moved the needle on educational policy, criminal justice reform, affordable housing, economic growth, and health and wellness awareness. Brother Dorsett, welcome to the network. Oh, thank you, brother. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to, for this conversation, man. Uh, man, I am too. I am too. So let's dive right into it. Man, tell us tell us what your childhood was like. Just kind of take us back a little bit. Tell us about yeah. young Dion. Man, uh, young Dion's childhood, very interesting. Uh, we moved around a lot as a family. Uh, but let me tell you way back for a second. So I'm actually an immigrant to this country. Uh, I was actually born in the Bahamas. Uh, my mother's from the Bahamas. My biological father's from the Bahamas. But it just so happens that my mother met my stepfather while he was in the, in the Marines and he was an embassy guard um, at the embassy in the Bahamas. And so okay. she cleaned the embassy, he guarded the embassy. And that's how they met. And so, you know, once they decided, you know, they wanted to spend their forevers together, um, you know, uh, the decision was made to move back to Louisiana where he was from. And of course, my mom was like, if, he, if, if I'm not going, she's not going. So that's how we got here to Louisiana. We stayed up north uh, in Natchitoches, Louisiana for a little bit, moved down to Baton Rouge. And so Baton Rouge is what I've always uh, recognized as being home. Uh, childhood was crazy because my parents stressed education so much that I wasn't able to do a lot of the other things that uh, my counterparts were doing. Uh, all that playing outside, that wasn't a part of my childhood. <laughs> Um, okay. It was very much, we're going to school, come back over here, you're going to read these books, you're going to get your lesson. Um, if you don't know, if I can't help you with it, then you're going to sit at this table until you figure it out. And so that was kind of what my childhood was uh, about. It was about a lot of discussions with my father, uh, you know, just being able to see uh, everything that was happening in, in the community. And I think it's kind of what helped to form me the way that I am now and the reason why I care so much now. Uh, because I kind of look back at all the things that we didn't have and that my community didn't have in terms of resources. Um, and something, you know, kind of struck me even at an early age that that's not fair. Uh, that's not what equal looks like. Um, so, uh, you know, growing up, we moved around to a lot of different uh, neighborhoods. Uh, the last neighborhood that I stopped in was Zion City. And so those were probably in my more formative years. Uh, where I lived in Zion City, which is right on the edge of Glen Oaks, but I went to McKinley. So either when I was going to McKinley, I was fighting people because I lived in Glen Oaks, or when I came back to Glen Oaks, I was fighting people in Glen Oaks or in Zion City because I played football and basketball and tennis at McKinley. And so it was like, you can't wear that jersey here in this neighborhood. <laughs> so uh, very interesting childhood, um, a lot of things going on. But one of the things that... Um, one of the things that kind of really helped to shape my childhood was school. Um, I had an opportunity to be in a gifted and talented program. And that was my escape from, you know, all the negativity that was around me. Um, I used to, I was very excited all the time that when I could go to school and I could stay in school uh, for the majority of the day, and I didn't necessarily have to go back to my neighborhood and I didn't have to go back to the crime and, um, you know, just to all the negativity that was happening. Um, being able to be in a drama club and uh, being able to be on the debate team or quiz bowl team, things that, you know, I could, I had an opportunity to see how other people lived. Um, and it gave me, you know, some indications of what I wanted for my children, what I wanted for my life. So, I mean, that's my history, you know, childhood wise in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, man, very interesting. You know, you, when you were, as you were talking about your dad and the conversations you had, man, I had a vision of, Lawrence Fishburne talking to Trey. 
you know, and boys <laughs> in the hood. That's that's the vision I got. Man, and, yeah. and you mentioned a couple of things that I thought were very, very interesting. A couple of things I've known you, man, for a long time, and I never knew you played tennis. Yes. And <laughs> I never knew that you were in the debate club. So yes. now yes. those things aren't, they aren't hard to see, man, but very, very interesting. Very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. So, man. <laughs> um, man, what was it like being a brother in the hood that played tennis? Man, it was really weird <laughs> because, uh, you know, all of the parks would have the tennis poles up, you know, with the net would connect to, but there was no net. No, no net. <laughs> there was no net. So uh, in terms of practicing, you know, most of my practicing happened uh, at school, which was another funny thing because I'd seen several other high schools and they didn't have tennis courts. Uh, so the fact that McKinley even had tennis courts was a blessing in itself. Uh, even though we did most of our practicing uh, at the park, uh, City Park over there near LSU uh, is where we did most of the practice. But playing tennis, I would, I would get off, I'll get off the bus and people were like, what are you about to do with that? You're like, are you Serena Williams? You know, Venus Williams? Those were all the jokes. Yeah, um, yeah. Then, of course, there was, uh, you know, other jokes about other tennis players and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you playing the white sport. Uh, and honestly, I always thought that tennis was, uh, was ridiculous. I was like, man, this is, sport is ridiculous. Anybody could play this. Anybody could just hit this ball back and forth over the net. It's about who can do it faster. That's the big deal. So my math professor was actually the coach. Uh, my math teacher at the time in high school, he was actually the coach. And he was like, okay, if you're so good, if you can pick it up so easily, why don't you come out and uh, try out for the team? I said, man, you know what? I don't have nothing else to do right now. Why not? I'll come out there and be the best person on the team. Yeah, it didn't happen like that. It didn't work like that. <laughs> um, but one of the benefits, though, of playing tennis was that we were able to travel to a lot of different schools, tournaments. Uh, but also, I realized it gave me an indication that I wasn't the only Black person that was doing this. Because as I traveled around, I started to run into more and more Black people who were playing tennis. And so I realized you know, I'm not an anomaly. And that was significant for me in my life because when you're in a gifted and talented program and you're surrounded by nothing but uh, your white uh, counterparts or peers, uh, it starts to make you feel really isolated as a, as a black person. Uh, it starts to make you feel, sometimes it can make you feel like you're special uh, or that you're better than, or you're a cut above. Um, and, and this journey of playing tennis allowed me to run into other black people right now. There's a lot of us out here that are smart that are educated, mm -hmm. that are into all kind of things that, you know, we're not a monolith. Uh, we all don't listen to the same music. Uh, we don't all like the same food. Uh, some of us can't make macaroni and cheese, and it's okay. Enjoying this episode so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Radio Public, or Pocket Casts. Now back to the show. This brother has a degree in finance, a degree in economics. He's got his MBA. So tell us what you're doing now um, as, a, as a professional. What are you doing for your Yeah, man. Uh, so what I do, my, my nine to five, as, as I call it, um, uh, is actually something that I'm passionate about. Again, I mentioned earlier about seeing things that wasn't fair. Um, and so I actually work for the U.S. Department of Labor. And I'm a, what's called a senior equal opportunity uh, specialist. Some people say investigator. Other people say compliance officer. Uh, but my job specifically is to uh, companies that have federal contracts with the government, they have required affirmative action obligation, equal opportunity obligation, a certain data that they're supposed to collect about job openings that they have, about promotions, about compensation. So anything that you can think about from the way that they create outreach and recruitment all the way to terminating employees uh, falls under my jurisdiction to investigate, to ensure that it's a, a, a process uh, free of discrimination, whether it's on the base of race, gender, sex, uh, your religion, your national origin, if you have a disability, if you're a veteran, uh, so there's a lot of different uh, protected groups. And so I go in, I evaluate uh, the company to determine whether or not there are indicators of discrimination. If I find indicators, that leads to an all-out investigation. Uh, and ultimately, the goal is to remedy uh, and make the people whole who were uh, impacted. For me personally, it's crazy that I ended up in that work. 
um, even though it kind of seems like I was destined to do it uh, because I went to college and initially I was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a doctor. Doctors get paid. I want to get paid. That's all it's about. Uh, if I'm not a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer so I can get paid. Everything was about getting paid. Everything was about getting paid and trying to help my family out. Uh, but it's crazy that when I got into this work, it really impacted me uh, or it really spoke to me because it took me back full circle. Uh, my parents ended up getting divorced around, I think I was around 12 years old when my parents got divorced. And one of the things that predicated uh, the divorce situation with, within my family was finances. Uh, and so my dad was a hard worker. He worked two jobs. My mom would work two jobs, uh, but it wasn't enough for the nice neighborhood that we moved in. Uh, my dad ended up, uh, my dad ended up getting uh, terminated from his job. But the reason why he got terminated was because of his religion, uh, because he's a devout Christian. Uh, and so he would pray at work. Um, he would always talk about his faith. And because of that, they didn't promote him. And he wouldn't go along with uh, things that were improper, that was not supposed to happen, uh, because he was steadfast in his faith, steadfast in his morals. And so since he didn't want to get down, he had to, he had to go. And so they ended up terminating, terminating him. They found a reason uh, to pencil whip him and terminate him uh, because of his religion. And what I think about when I do this job every day is that what if there was somebody that had been there for my dad that would have, would have protected him from what, was what ended up happening to him, what ended up with wasn't the only reason that, um, you know, my parents split up, but it was a factor. Finances is always a factor, you know, in any serious relationship. And yeah. so I think about, and then what if he had, was, had been able to keep his job and he got promoted and he made the extra thousand dollars a month? What would be the difference in my life and the life of my siblings? Maybe we wouldn't have student loans. At the time when I, I first started attending Southern University, $1,100 took care of fees and tuition. And so here's my dad making $1,000 extra a month. Fees and tuition are now taken care of. His son doesn't have to go into debt in order to better himself. Um, so the, the work speaks to me. I've been with the agency for 10 years. I think we've recovered over $30 million of cases that I've been a part of um, in terms of dis discrimination, whether it's against black people, Asian people, sometimes even white people, which is always an anomaly to me, but you know, it happens. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Man, that's, that's good stuff. It's good to know that there are actually people out there <clears throat> holding companies to the fire, yes, holding them absolutely. You and know, I and enjoy it. <laughs> no. I enjoy it. I enjoy sitting across the table. Mike, let me tell you, I enjoy sitting across the table from people who think they're untouchable. And just the look in their eyes, uh, the way they walk in the room, like I'm wasting their time, it's fine. I can waste your time, but I'm also going to take the money. <laughs> yeah. So. Man, that's, listen, that's good. And, and, what you mentioned, you know, about the situation that led to your parents' divorce is you said, what if somebody was there? You know, so your work is important. Right. It may seem like a, a, a tiny ripple, but there is a thing called the ripple effect. So yes. that's huge, man. So you mentioned in your questionnaire that we've lost a lot of prominent fighters and leaders of right. the civil rights era and that we have to be prepared to take the torch before we're given leaders that we didn't choose. Yes. Talk about that for me. Man, I mean, it's, it's just something that if, you, if, if you're a student of history, and, and even if you're just paying attention, uh, you pay attention to trends, you pay attention to things that are happening. Uh, we have all these powerful people, you know, back in, the, um, I'm a part of the Urban League, um, and part of me being a part of that movement was that there are certain people in history that we didn't even know were leaders, um, that were on the at the forefront of everything, uh, all the progress that we've made, and they weren't there for the titles, they weren't there for the recognition. Uh, but what ended up coming in the wake of their leadership were people who wanted to be recognized, people who wanted to have a title uh, so they could be seen uh, more than it was about the people. And so you have people who have created careers around just being seen. Uh, but not actually having any uh, significant impact. And so we see all these true leaders who are now past, whether they were assassinated, 
whether the lucky ones they were able to die of old age um mm-hmm. but who who now steps in and carries a torch and i think the problem for us as a people we've always looked for a one person like every group is always looking for a one person to be the lead to be that person that directs them to the promised land and i just never believed in that concept i believe that there are that we are supposed to be creating a bunch of leaders to lead all of us uh you know to a to a promised land or to you know what progress uh meaningful progress for our community means uh i hate when i have to go to the ballot uh and cast my vote and i and i feel powerless because i got to deal with the best available option rather than somebody who actually speaks uh to uh to my situation to someone who actually speaks to the things that are happening in my community um and then i got to wish and pray that maybe during their two years or four years or six years in office maybe maybe they will touch my issues maybe they will focus on something that means something to my community but it's all a gamble i'm rolling the dice every time and so we have to be prepared as uh as young professionals um as black people in general no matter how what your age is you have to be prepared that when leadership comes that you you have to take it you know um i know it's not it's not always a uh glamorous job it's definitely not a well paying job <laughs> most mm-hmm. of the time um but if something speaks to you then it's your duty to step up in that space and if people see you in that space and they choose to elevate you further because you know they they see your heart and they see the the work ethic that you have um then you then you need to accept because in the absence of you accepting you know where god is trying to move you um somebody else is going to move into that space that should not be there um and then we lose the full opportunity of progress um and then we continue to be damaged and and i, I just got to say this especially from a party standpoint from like a democratic stand party standpoint i'm tired of these brothers and sisters just out here just co-signing co-signing with whatever just to get along right um everything is about the party no what about your people you know when you left here your people elevated you and i think people get elevated and they forget you know because the career is to i don't know what else i would do if i'm not doing this you know yeah. like how many of these yeah. people were self-made individuals before they had an opportunity uh to now then be thrust into his leadership position um but it, the answer know, is with, none none right yeah. and so um i mean i recognize that guess what i'm still going to go to the ballot in november or uh to the booth in november i'm still going to cast my vote begrudgingly but um ultimately i know that it's something that's going to allow at least a stay of uh of all of the lack of progress uh and how much we've reverted as a country over the past 4 years so i'm going to do my part but at the same time we're going to hold some people's feet to the fire so how and where how and where are we creating leaders how do we do it and and where are these leaders coming from yeah um so are we talking about the leaders who we don't want or are we talking about the leaders that that we the need? ones that the leaders that we need the ones that we want okay. um the ones that we want to grow so how how are right. we growing them how are we doing this how are we grooming them and where are we grooming them where are they coming from right, where do we right. find the next generation of leaders where do we right. find this generation of leaders yeah you know the crazy thing about uh about this leadership pipeline it's a who's who or who knows who uh type of situation and if you if you're not in the know or if somebody doesn't know you uh then uh it's it's difficult to get into that circle and get into that space not just to lead because anybody can lead right anybody can find something they're passionate about and they can move forward but there's a aspect of nobody woke up and became and was a perfect leader right uh there is training and development that is a part of uh, of that process uh but if nobody ever taps you to say hey i see the potential that you have i want to now you know pour more into you uh let me help you uh understand how to be more effective in your leadership let me help you to understand why planning and preparation is so important not just getting up there and talking uh i'm asked to come and speak at a lot of different uh, um events and not 
And I always want to know what's the context of what I'm, I'm speaking about, because I want to plan and prepare myself for that, uh, for that event or for that opportunity. But mainly because, um, you know, everyone, once you decide that you're going to move into this leadership space, you're going to be attacked. Right. And you need to be prepared to fend off the attacks that are going to happen. Things are going to, people are always going to challenge or challenges, not even attacks, but people are going to challenge your message or the things that you find that's important. Um, but I think out here in Houston, for sure, where I found uh, leaders are being found are in those uh, professional organizations, whether you're in the Urban League Young Professionals, whether you're in 100, uh, Emerging 100. Uh, which is uh, an auxiliary arm of uh, the uh, 100 Black Men, uh, okay. if you're finding people in your sororities. Uh, but the way that these leaders are, are, tend to be found is that somebody recognizes an opportunity or recognizes the talent and the gift, and they slowly but surely, they kind of pull them along, right? And I, I, just to provide like a quick context or story, I joined the Urban League uh, maybe... 2014, yeah, 2014, I joined the Urban League. I, I joined as a board member and a member at the same time. I was doing nothing in Houston, except for talking on social media about all the issues and all the problems in the world. Um, a lot, was like I doing that? Yeah, like a lot of us, right? Yeah. Was I doing that because um, that's all that I could do? That I didn't know how to get connected. Um, and one of our classmates, Annie Wade, she was serving on the Young Professional Board here in Houston. She reached out to me, she said, I see your leadership. You're always involved in these alumni affairs. You're doing all of this other stuff. Uh, you need to be involved in leadership in your community. And that means giving back to the community and serving on, uh, you know, in these organizations. So Annie pulled me along. And when she pulled me along, she pulled me off of the couch into a space where I was just a professional development chair. And I was just helping everyone to be, become more professional in their careers. And then Right after that, somebody, while I was serving on that leadership team, someone on the leadership team said, I see that you can do this. And then I got pulled into another space and another space. I can promise you that when I joined the team in 2014, I had no intentions of becoming president. No intentions. I planned to serve that year to help Annie, to support her. And then I was done. I was going to stay a member, but I'm good. That's not exactly what I want to do. Um, but what I found is uh, because somebody pulled me along, then I was able to be in this space and to be able to create impact a way um, more significant than what I ever expected, the type of impact that I expected to have. Okay, Matt, that's good because my next question, and you already kind of mentioned it, was, was about mentors. And I, I wanted yeah. to ask, so who, who has served as your mentor or who are the people who have served as your mentors? Yeah, so some of my mentors don't even know that they're my mentors. <laughs> um, they're just people that I see um, out in the, you know, out in the community uh, that are doing great things. Uh, but but for some people, uh, I want to kind of go back for a second. Uh, one of my very first mentors was uh, the late uh, state representative Avon Honey from Louisiana. Uh, okay. When I graduated from undergrad, uh, that was right around the same time. It, we were right. We were we were right at the point where the economy was going about to go belly up. Uh, I made a decision to go back to graduate school because I'd been offered a gener a generous salary uh, coming out of undergrad, and I thought to myself, "Hmm, if I go back to grad school, then I can uh, I can demand even more," which is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> and and someone needs to tell tell our young people that you no, know, when you have your opportunity, take your opportunity. You can always go to grad school. Um, yeah, but young people, people young people, yes, make sure you people, are listening. Please listening. Look, better yet, take the opportunity and then let the business or whoever you're working for, whatever you're doing, let it pay for you to go to grad school, rather than you rack up another forty some thousand dollars in debt telling on myself. <laughs> There it is, man. That's, that's a hack. That's a life hack. Right. That's a, a life, life hack. Hey, man, look, one thing I believe in is that we shouldn't have to pay for all these lessons. Yeah, some of these have already been paid for. Just take it. Amen. <laughs> take it. Amen. So, um, but yeah, but back to, I got off on a tangent. Um, but uh, Senator, I mean, uh, Rep Representative Honey uh, was one of my first mentors. Um, I was just coming off of my Omega Wave 
having uh, a great collegiate career. Everything was fun. And here he, he reached out and he was like, hey, I'm going to hire you for this position. So you're not qualified for it. He said, but you have all the intangibles uh, uh, for this role. And what he did uh, within the two years that I worked for him was continue to mold me. You know, I would go in there with a presentation for him and, and for our team. And he would come back and say, and say mm, you know what? I don't, I don't feel like I got your best effort from this. I think this is something that you decided to do at the last minute. Then you brought it because, you know, this is not the same person that I interviewed. Um, and so he mentored me through, you know, you know, the politics of things. Uh, why it's so important to put your best foot forward every opportunity that you get. Um, uh, how to evaluate opportunities, making sure that opportunities are actually the right opportunity. So an opportunity that's in front of you, it may not be for you. It may be for someone else. And you have to be able to make sure that it aligns with your morals, your values uh, from a spiritual perspective. Like, is this right for me? Um, so he was definitely one of, um, I would consider to be one of my mentors. Uh, although he never said, hey, I'm your mentor. And I think that most mentor-mentee relationships actually start like that. Um, nobody actually says, I'm going to do this. You know, it's usually an ask, uh, but uh, I applaud him because he just kind of stepped up in that space and he saw a need. And I think he did that with a lot of um, young brothers around the campus. He saw and he saw potential and he stepped up in that space for them. Good stuff. That's good stuff. All right. So before we transition, um, how can somebody get involved with the Houston area Urban League Young Professionals or the Houston area Urban League or one of the other organizations that you mentioned? Right. Absolutely. How can we get involved? Yeah, definitely. So um, the Houston area Urban League Young Professionals, I when people ask me about the organization, I basically tell them, um, I view the organization as a nexus organization. It's the organization when you Google black young professionals uh, in Houston, we typically come up first. Uh, so we're usually at the top of, uh, of that search, those search engine results. Uh, but the organization is a nexus organization to everything else. I try to uh, convey to people that my goal is not to keep you as a member for the next five, six, seven years. Um, my goal is to help you align, help you align um, with your passion for community and your passion for service and whatever, whatever area that may be. Um, and so when people go to www.hallyp.org, you know, they can see the work that we've done, you know, over the last 20 years, uh, 21 years that we've been in, uh, in existence. Um, but more importantly, if they look a little bit further, they will see people in prominent positions all across the community who are former members of our organization. And what our organization is, it's, it's really a training ground. We allow you to be able to serve in the community, but at the same time, we push you towards leadership. We push you towards leadership development programs. Uh, mm -hmm. We push you to not only be members of our organization, but be members of the organization in which you have some expertise or you have some skills. So if you are, are, are an engineer, we're going to push you to also be a member of NSBE, uh, the National Society of Black Engineers. Um, if, we're, if you um, want to engage in mentorship, if you have an MBA, we're going to push you to the National Black MBA Association, the Houston chapter. And so in that space, and what we found is that as we continue to push people in these spaces, all of a sudden their leadership starts, continues to develop. We look up in their presidents of their respective organizations now. And that is the true benefit of being a part of an organization like uh, Hall YP, which we, we call it uh, affectionately. Uh, but yeah, they can reach out. Uh, they can also reach out directly to me. They can uh, email me at president at hallyp.org, which is president at h-a-u-l-y-p.org. Uh, and the other thing is, it's like there's no pressure to join. You know, my goal is not to pressure you into joining. I want you to make that decision because it's the right decision for you. Uh, and so we allow people to serve on our committees without actually being members. Because at the end of the day, it's your time and your effort, and your treasure, that's going to be most important to the people of the community, not the fact that you're a member of the organization. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. So we, we've been talking for a little while now, and you have talked about some of your experiences, some of your passions. 
dive a little bit deeper for us and and talk a little bit more about the things that you're passionate about kind of bring it all together for us yeah so um let's see so i think the the things that i'm most passionate about and it's just crazy how all of this really kind of uh folds back into itself or is based off of uh life experiences the things that i'm most passionate about is uh, seeing our people really being able to tap into their full potential uh, without all of the obstacles or the unnecessary obstacles that are the result of race or discrimination um, uh, or because of where they're from, you know, or the lack of uh, resources in their community. And so it's always been that for me. Um, I'm, I'm told that I'm probably going to end up in politics eventually. Uh, what do you, know, I what do like you to, think? I, I don't know, man. It's kind of hard. Why? To, uh, <laughs> I, I want to ask the tough questions. Why? Why not? Yeah. All right. So, uh, tough question. And it's, it's not a great answer. I'll tell you that right now. It's not a great answer, but it's the honest answer. Uh, okay. Because uh, politics requires a lot. Um, it requires a lot of, I, I would call, bartering. Uh, you got to give something to get something. Um, and I can be very stubborn <laughs> when I think I'm right or I know I'm right, then, you know, yeah. I want to stand firm on my position. I'm also, uh, I'm not really big on the process of, uh, people, you know, investing into you and then expecting a return on their investment in terms of something that is going to be, um, solely beneficial to them or to their business or to their operation. And so I don't want to be bought, uh, and sold. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the other part yeah. too is, you know, I look at myself as a, uh, as a person who's kind of building a foundation for the future. You know, my parents didn't go to college. They don't have an opportunity to have this, um, fat 401k or, or this, uh, grand inheritance that's going to be left to me. Um, and so I look at the time and I look at, uh, the things that are also important to me, making sure that my family is secure, um, and uh, I'll be honest, uh, politics, especially on the local level, does not pay the bills. <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. pay the bills. And, you know, that's my primary responsibility is first to my daughter, you know, make sure that she is fine. And, that, you know, and then my immediate family, of course. Um, but again, the more I the more I try to run away from it, the more it keeps calling. Uh, and the more I see uh, examples of, you know, well, this person shouldn't be in this leadership role. And then I hear someone say, well, why don't you try to do something about that? I'm like, hmm, okay. I might, maybe I just need to be quiet. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you're, you're I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're, the, if you're the I need to be quiet type of guy. But I do want to say this to encourage you. Man, the decision is solely yours. But I, I've learned in my short life on this planet that where there is vision, there's always provision. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, man, so just put that in your back pocket. You yeah, know, no doubt, no as, doubt. I appreciate you, that too. As you continue to consider, um, you know, what you're going to do with your future plans. Right. <laughs> you said this, man, and this really stood out to me. You said, I stand for all things, but I have a laser focus on Black people and immigrants. That really stood out to me, man, because you're, you, you stand for opportunity and equality by any means necessary, right. but there's a special place in your heart for, for black people and immigrants. Touch that yeah. just briefly for us. Yeah, man. Um, I, I think what, what I was saying in that statement for sure is that um, regardless of, of who you are, where you started, you deserve a fair shot. You, diver- you deserve a fair opportunity um, to be prosperous uh, to live out your dreams, uh, to be able to provide for your family. Um, and so I think sometimes as black people, we get pulled into, we get pulled into everybody's fight. Um, and, and we're always willing, we're very willing participants to, to get into someone else's fight and to fight for someone else. And I think for me though, I kind of realized that I don't need to have necessarily, um, uh, direct hands-on approach to every fight that's going on. Um, but I need to focus in the area, uh, have a focus in the area of the things that are most important to me. The most important thing to me is our people. 
you know, what does progress look like for us? Um, because we keep talking about progress, you know, if, depending on who you ask, we haven't made any. Um, uh, and a great example of that is going to is going to be the result of this pandemic. I mean, this pandemic hasn't uh, hasn't passed yet. Um, if you think white businesses are closing down, if Asian businesses are closing down, then you better believe that black businesses are closing down. We've, we've been trying to have a whole moment, uh, movement around supporting black businesses, convincing each other to stop looking uh, at our businesses as uh, something that's inferior. And now, right when we're at this point where we're, where we're, uh, where we're receiving the message and, we're starting to, and it's starting to manifest in us and in our action, um, you know, we have a we have an entire pandemic that's going on. We have all the uh, police murders, uh, murders uh, by the police that have occurred, uh, and uh, now we have businesses that are closing their doors with no opportunity ever of of, of probably opening again because they don't have the backing and the support uh, to be able to emerge from this unscathed. Um, and so that's why my focus is just always going to be uh, black people, no matter what community that I'm in, uh, doesn't mean I, does, I don't support the fight of others. You know, maybe I may support in, in, in my giving, uh, maybe if I'm asked to say something, um, but it's not going to be my late nights. Uh, I'm not going to be developing late night strategies to save another community uh, when I see that my community is continuing to, to, to be in a state where we, like, we're perpetually drowning. Um, and, and we need, we need everyone that has the means and we, and have the access to be laser focused on our community too. And not to tell everybody what to do, but you have to look around and you say that, you gotta ask yourself, why you keep moving out of our neighborhoods, right? Are we saying that the yeah. problems are so great that we can't solve these problems in our neighborhood? Uh, and I just find that I find that to be an unacceptable answer uh, or that we need other people so desperately to save ourselves. No, uh, we've been saving the world uh, for countless generations. You know, I think it's fair for us to turn back inward, look at ourselves and say, I'm just, let me save me first. And I, I'll give you this before um, I leave the topic, right? I'll give you this. So when I was in the, when I was in the military, I heard this when I was in the military, and I also heard this when I worked uh, when I was in the military, and also when I worked for a Caden ambulance as an EMT. And what was told to me is say you can't save yourself, you can't save anyone until you save yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> we keep trying to save everyone else, but we're not safe. You know, if you're in the water and you're trying to save someone uh, who from drowning, uh, who do you put between you and the rocks if you're about to smash against the rocks? You got to put that person in between because if you go down, then it's lost. You know, yeah. everything that's important, yeah. everything that's going to happen uh, or could happen from your, your bravery or your heroics is lost. And so um, we have to start looking inward and saying, let's fix our problems first. We can support other people, but we're going to fix our problems first. All right, brother. Tell us what, what keeps you up at night. Yeah, man. You know, it was crazy when... Uh, I was, I was kind of pondering this. I was like, man, what does keep me up at night? Um, I think it's balancing the, the whole, the balancing act that you have to do um, to one, have a career, have a family, um, and then, then be very invested into the community. Uh, you know, what, what are your obligations versus your passion? Um, sometimes those two things are going to be so well aligned, you're not going to be able to see that the lines are blurred. Um, but in other instances, uh, for example, um, somebody you know mentioned to me about potentially running for city council one day. And the first thing that my, uh, my girlfriend said was, how much does that pay? And I was like, that's a good question, let's look. Then we looked and was like, mm. she's like, wait, you about to give up this and you're gonna do that. I don't know about that. <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, that's, that's a, that's a real thing. It's a real consideration. Um, uh, because, you know, you know, we, our plan is, is to be married. Um, I'm hoping to propose this year. Can't say when, cause you know, wanted to be a surprise, but it's happening and she knows it's happening. Her parents know it's happening. Um, and so I look at her and I look at my daughter. I think about the kids that we have yet, uh, to create God spare our lives. 
Um, and I think about my obligation to them to ensure that they don't have to pay uh, or take out loans when they go to college. Um, the obligation of, you know, when they go to school, they can just go to school, you know, and they can focus on being, becoming that well-rounded individual. They can focus on their craft. They can focus on, you know, just becoming more exposed and knowledgeable about the world rather than what, how are they going to pay for housing or how are they going to uh, eat that night? Um, um, but at the same time, the other thing that keeps me up is that when we start looking at things like uh, purpose and passion, we look at all those great leaders um, and it doesn't matter who is the great leader that, that, you, that you identify, there's a sacrifice that comes uh, with leadership. And sometimes I've seen that sacrifice come uh, uh, related to the relationships that people have with their family. Um, and I always said, I didn't want to be a person that died and left this earth. And then my parents, my kids or my wife uh, felt like they didn't know me anymore or they did not. Yeah. All they could do was say something good about me and all the good works that I did, but they couldn't talk about a funny story of, I remember when my dad did this with me, or I remember when me and my husband did that. And so that type of thing keeps me up at night, uh, trying to figure out whether or not I'm creating the type of balance uh, to where, uh, you know, you know, when I'm not here, maybe my kids and my wife, they can talk about my accomplishments, and they can also talk about my presence at home uh, and how significant it was, how impactful it was. You know, I don't want to have daughters. I don't want to have sons that grow up saying that my dad wasn't there. Or I don't know who that yeah. man is. But everyone else knows that man better than, than I know that man. Um, and so it, it's definitely something that, you know, in the middle of the night, I'll stand up and I'll be looking outside and I'll just kind of, you know, writing down things, kind of trying to map out, you know, making sure that I'm available uh, for them. Yeah. yeah, man. I listen, I tell you, it is definitely a burden. <clears throat> I don't, I don't, I'm going to be honest with you, man. Personally, I don't know how to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I know. So I'm a, I'm a younger guy with older kids, you know, so I'm, I'm 42 and I have a 21 and a 19 year old son, you know, and it's no secret that my wife and I had no idea what we were doing. You know, so raising kids and chasing profession and trying to be a good husband and good wife, you know, so, man, it, it honestly is difficult because you yeah. mentioned some things that, you know, we don't want to leave our kids with student loans. You know, I read a quote one day and, and man, it was awesome. Don't remember where I read it, but yeah. it, it was something to the effect of I studied war so my children can study art and science. Wow you know, man, just deep and, wow. and impactful, you know, and it just, you know, I got goosebumps, man, just thinking about yes. it because it's like, oh, you know, man, we, you know, we want our kids to be able to, to reap where they didn't sow. Right. And at the same time, teach them to sow so that those yes. that come behind them will be able to do the same thing. Man, it's a right. delicate balance and it's not easy. And I'll be honest, bro, yes. I don't have the answers. You know, because I'm still, yeah. my wife and I are still trying to get it. We're still trying right. to figure it out. I don't think, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really think that there's a, any one answer for it at all. I think, though, it does require a lot of prayer and meditation. Um, Definitely. And, you know, uh, from a spiritual standpoint, you know, just really being opening to listening to, to the direction of, of the Holy Ghost, like, and which area should my attention, you know, be, or how do I need to move in this space? And then I think we also have to trust, uh, there, there's a degree of trust, right? So I think the thing that's, that, that keeps me up at night about that is, is, is me having doubt. And sometimes you have to get back into prayer. You have to get deeper into meditation uh, mm -hmm. on the word of God to, uh, you know, to steal your resolve. Right. Uh, because if you if you've been called for it, if you truly been called for the work, uh, then God will take care of you and God will provide. And so I think those late nights, those things that keep me up, you know, that's doubt, you know, lack of faith. Um, but there's a there's an answer for that. There's a solution for that. You know, and everybody's yeah. answer is going to be different. All right. So let's talk about books, recommended books. And what are you reading right now? OK. Yeah. So um, right now. 
I, I really have time to kind of sit and read. And I don't believe in um, what do they call them, audio books. I don't believe. I think that's laziness. That's lazy. <laughs> <laughs> How you listen so, to a book? Yeah, you, you listening to the book? Really? Are you taking notes? How do? You, what are you? Are you highlighting? Like, what's going on? How you come back to the those uh, you know those little nuggets or gems that pop out at you or your right, favorite part? Right. Um, but and I'm pretty sure there's a way they do it. I just I'm just not. That's not my ministry. Um, but you know, I'm rereading the. Uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, part of the reason, so Mal Malcolm has always been a hero to me. Um, and although he doesn't get the credit, I think that, that he's due. Uh, he's been a hero to me. Uh, Martin was a hero to me. Uh, and what I'm most interested in and why I'm rereading is because the more that you live and the more that, you know, information, especially in this information age, you're able to see a lot more, uh, you're able to get more of, of, of what their relationship looked like and then what that looked like at the time, you know, that they were both uh, approaching uh, their deaths. Um, and so what I tend to see in there is that you had two men who started kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum regarding problems that their communities were facing, uh, but they're closer to their demise, uh, to their death. Um, they they were gravitating towards each other uh, and they were coming to a, a, they were almost to a centrist position. Uh, one with Malcolm recognizing that he can't go at it alone, right? Um, that you need allies, you need the organizations like the fraternities and sororities. Uh, you need uh, organizations historically like the NAACP, the Urban League uh, to be in this fight because this fight is a multi is uh is multifaceted there's there's many fronts uh in which we need people to battle um and we're not going to get that accomplished just with one leadership one direction and so i always like to go back and reread something that spoke to me before because a really good story a really good book there's something that you missed before and every time yeah. it's and like the best example of that is the bible um yeah. you yeah. go back and you read the bible and you're like wait what hold on yeah, you know, I see when I read this time. when I was 13, I didn't catch this. But yeah. here I am in my 30s, and I'm like, mm, okay, I need that right now. I need that in this time, in this space. And so I'm, I'm rereading that. Um, there's also there's a book that I got from uh, the Southern University Library, John B. K. I got from the library. I checked it out uh, for an American uh, lit class or American history class. And it was uh, the Norton Anthology, um, uh, what is it called? The Norton, uh, eesh, Norton Anth Anthology of African-American uh, Literature. Yeah. And man, it's, it's this 400, 500 page book. And it's full of like our history, uh, poems uh, by poets that some of us have never heard of. Um, there are songs, Negro spirituals, gospels, uh, that are in their, their short stories. Uh, and so uh, with my time kind of be lim uh, being limited, I'm able to jump in there and read something interesting, learn something about our history. Um, and so it allows me to kind of keep, you know, touching parts of, my, of, of our history, of our ancestors. And so, uh, I mean, there's sermons in there from, you know, um, you know, pastors and bishops who are no longer with us. Um, mm -hmm. There's hip hop in there, blues. So it's like, it's like a, it's like this uh, written history that, uh, well, it's it's our spoken history, but it's been written down now. And so that's that's one of my joys right there. And, you know, just something new pops out to me and, and it speaks to me. So okay, <laughs> um, man, that's good. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so <clears throat> now let's move. Let's move from books to music. What, what are you listening to right now? So I'm listening to Toby. So I'm listening to Toby and J. Cole. Man, this guy, Toby, is, man, he is a breath of fresh air. Um, yes, I think, yes, honestly, I, I, everyone knows that I, I love conscious, uh, conscious rap. Uh, you know, I'm a big J. Cole fan. I'm a Kendrick Lamar fan. Uh, and so, you know, and, I, and to a certain extent, I'm a huge Tupac fan. I'm thinking I'm the number one Tupac fan. 
not necessarily about all the music, but that, you know, a lot of his music was very specific about things that were happening in the community. And mm -hmm. the crazy thing about his music is that, you know, we haven't made enough progress when his, his music is still relevant, you still know, relevant today. <laughs> still yeah. relevant, almost 25 years, you know, after his death. Uh, but yeah. Toby, Toby has been on my playlist heavy. Uh, I was first introduced to that brother here in Houston. He would have uh, a poetry event that would go on. Uh, I forgot the name of the event, but it was a really dope event. Maybe I think that's what it is. I think it's called Dope Art. Um, and so he'd have this really great event where, you know, he would do original poetry. Uh, he's bringing up other, he's elevating other artists in the community to do poetry. But the thing that really drew me to this, uh, to this brother is that he's not flip-flopping in his music, right? And what I mean by that is that he doesn't go from, oh, I'm going to, uh, you know, I want all the money, the women, and all of this. He's like, man, I'm a family man. I'm married. I love my wife. I love my, I love my, I love my child. Uh, you know, I love our community. And that's what I'm going to talk about. You know, yeah. I'm, and I'm going to do it in the dopest way that I can, I can come up with. Um, and it's just a breath of fresh air to see, like when you see his visuals, uh, especially the videos, you see his visuals, his wife is right there. You know, everyone. Uh, the, everyone is a part of it, right? Yeah. They don't have to fit a specific, uh, uh, I guess, prototype of what, of what we uh, would identify as being beautiful, right? Everybody doesn't look like Beyonce or whatever, but it just represents that we're all beautiful within our own. And so I just, I love the vibe. You know, it's always a lot of positive energy that's coming from the music. It's always some, um, you know, in there to let you know that, hey, guess what? Don't get it messed up. I'm kicking out this positivity, but I'm going to protect mine too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's the guy right now uh, that's heavy on my playlist. So when Spotify does that at the end of the year where they identify the songs that you listen to the most, he will, he will probably be headlining that list. <laughs> okay. Man, I first heard about him listening to – Bomani Jones podcast. This might have been like two, three years ago, maybe. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, okay, well, let me go check this dude out. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> nice. The brother, the man, yes. the brother is nice. So the brother right, is speak, nice. Yes. Yeah, man. Speaking of podcasts, what are you listening to on podcasts? Man, a uh, few things I'm listening to. Um, the one that I picked up most recently was called Earn Your Leisure. Um, there's two brothers um, out of New York, at least based somewhere on the East Coast, um, who decide they, they talk about these issues about money and, um, you know, building businesses and growing wealth in the community, what that looks like. And so um, they have a podcast that they drop an episode like every week. Uh, and initially, they just kind of started out talking about things that, you know, aren't necessarily a part of our everyday conversation, especially as, as a people. You know, they, they dive into like how, you know, Google uh, took over the market or how Amazon, uh, their business strategy is, you know, is uh, competing with Netflix or how people are making money, right? And the things that they can do and things that we can do, easy steps that we can take in order to be able to move uh, in those spaces. And then they transition to where they started bringing on guests, uh, people who are actively doing this. And I think this really what drew me in because then people were coming on, the guests were coming on, they were saying, no, this is how you do it. This is how yeah. I, I did it. And so it doesn't matter. Uh, matter of fact, my line brother, Chris, uh, I knew he had made it when he ended up on the podcast. I said, oh yeah, that brother made it. <laughs> big time. <laughs> anyway, you big time now. So he, he was on Earn Your Leisure. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they flew out here to Houston to do that episode. Uh, wow. But it's, it's really dope. Uh, and then there's the weird side of me. Uh, I'm, well, I'm also listening to Three Brothers No Sense. Uh, it's uh, three, three, uh, three black guys that are really just kind of, they talk about everything. They talk about life, marriage, you know, whatever's going on in pop culture. Uh, and so they've provided a space for things to not be so serious and that there's an opportunity for us to learn from the things uh, from each of our, uh, each of their relationships. Um, okay. And then uh, the other big thing, this is my weird side. Um, so I want you to think bad about me or just start thinking like something might be wrong with that guy. 
Oh, um, man, it's all good. Yeah, but uh, Crime Junkie. Uh, okay. So okay. I'm big into, uh, you know, the television shows that are talking about uh, people, the FBI chasing down serial killers and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm like, man, look at these people. Normal looking people right next to us. Everyday life. I'm in the grocery store. This guy's a serial killer. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. I've been listening to Crime Junkie. And so Crime Junkie is this two young ladies that they dive into basically cold cases. Um, and they they start giving you the story. But it also, what's incredible, incredible about it too, though, is uh, <laughs> they really kind of fall into uh, how sometimes uh, the police department, uh, and not saying all officers or all departments, but how some of them, depending on, you know, who you are, uh, where you come from, uh, what your race or background is, you know, they don't put that much effort into trying to find these missing people. I'm a big fan of Crime Junkie, just like, man, I can't believe this stuff is going on in the world. So. Man, listen, I, I, I definitely don't think you're weird because in my notes, I just wrote to recommend that to Kim. Kim is my wife. And when I tell you, man, that is right up her alley, like there are oh, some days man. when I just gotta be like, baby, please, can we not watch that? <laughs> I call it the murder channel. I call it the murder channel. I'd be like, baby, can we please not yeah. watch the murder channel today? Yes, that's so, what my uh, my girl is always asking me. She's like, baby, she's like, can I just watch something else where somebody's not getting cut in half, cut up? Please, man, I'm listen. like, babe. <laughs> so the, the running the running joke that we have is if something happened to me, right? You already know who did it. <laughs> you already know who did it because she doing she been doing our homework for twenty years. Right? They know too much. Right. Not... <laughs> man, man, listen. All right. So we're going to go into this next segment, man. Okay. Rapid fire. All right. I'm just going to ask right. you five random questions. It's kind of like freestyle. Respond okay. to the question. Just come straight off the dome. First thing that comes to your mind. All right. Bet. Bet. Okay. First question. I ask most of our guests this question. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Man, I could tell you. Oh, I know that straight off the dome, I would want to have this, the, the same power of the Green Lantern. Uh, I want that ring um, because I was especially uh, uh, John, uh, John Stewart, when, you know, the black character that played the Green Lantern. Uh, yeah. I want that superpower because the superpower is based off of your strength of will. Right. Mm. Like there's nothing that it can't do if you will it to be. And so if you can manifest it with your will, you know, I think that, I mean, it just speaks things, volumes to me, you know, just in real life. Like yeah. the only thing that's stopping me is my will, you know, and if my will is strengthened and it, I'm strong in my resolve, there's nothing I can't accomplish. So superpower, I want, I don't know what they call that superpower, uh, but I want that green Latin ring. Uh, I'm gonna make things. Uh, when hurricanes come, I'm gonna put a shield all over the community. You know, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, good stuff, man. That's good. that's a good answer, man. That's a good answer. I'm, I'm gonna put together a montage of of <laughs> guest answers for that one because I've heard some I've heard some good stuff, man. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. Question number two: What is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, okay. Ooh, biggest pet peeve. Uh, I think the my biggest pet. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's not even that hard. Biggest pet peeve is somebody asking for something or asking for assistance with something without even trying, without making an attempt. Um, Like, I love my girl. I love her to death. Um, But that woman asked me one day, she said, said, babe, the computer won't come on. I was like, uh, or she said, the uh, keyboard won't come on or the mouse won't work. And I'm like, hey, did you turn the mouse on? Did you look to see if the power was on? Is Is the computer plugged up? I'm like, because, you know, you just woke me up about this. Like, it was very serious. And I'm like, oh, I didn't. What do you mean you didn't think to plug it up? Hey, man, listen. <laughs> you you were sleeping too good. I'm going to just tell you right now, man. You were just <laughs> sleeping too good. That's all that was. Look at Dion over there sleeping yeah. all good. Sleeping. Yeah. Let me, find a, let me find something for him to do. <laughs> hey, baby. Baby. <laughs> all right, man. Here we go. Question number three. Question number three. Fill in the blank. When I dance, I look like blank. Oh man, when I dance, 
uh, Jesus, when I dance, I don't I don't look like anyone that 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 you think is black. That's for sure. Uh, I'm definitely an offbeat guy. Um, my girl was making fun of me this past week, talking about you know you know one of the things I love you is that you're the worst dancer I've ever seen. Uh, but you don't care. <laughs> but you don't care. You don't care who's watching or what's going on. You're gonna do your thing. Um, but yeah, I I definitely when I dance, I look like the worst person that you've ever seen dance. I have no rhythm. That was one of the things that did not come with my black package. Um, everything else I'm pretty solid on, but yeah, that, that, that wasn't one of it. Uh, one of them. And when I see other people, I'm like, man, look at that guy dancing. I wish I could do that. And I'll just do something. <laughs> man, I, I got a feeling all your people back home in the Bahamas are embarrassed right now. Oh man, they were like terribly he's... embarrassed. So part of the story I didn't tell you is that uh, back uh, when my parents got divorced, my mom sent me to go live with my grandmother for a time. And so that means going back to the uh, Bahamas, a third world country. Uh, maybe we have lights. Maybe we have running water every now and then. Um, but one thing that we always had was like community and people would always have these, uh, you know, reggae sessions going on. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, get out here and dance. And then they, they always attributed to me being living in America too long. You lived in America too long. That's why you can't dance. And none of the girls wanted to talk to me because of that. So that was a, definitely a deal breaker in the Bahamas. <laughs> All right, so y'all got that. If you're going to the Bahamas and, and dance. you can't dance, <laughs> that's a wrap, brother. It's a wrap for you, man. <laughs> that's a wrap. All right, here we go, man. Two more questions, two more questions. What is your favorite song? Favorite song of all time, what is it? Man, let's see. Um, I think favorite song of all time, Tupac Dear, Dear Mama. I think that's a all all time favorite song. Um, okay. I mean, again, I, I spoke about it. The brother just he he talked about a lot of things that I kind of found you know that were very similar in my life. Um, and while my mother wasn't on drugs, you know she had her challenges in life. Um, you know, but I could always see her like just working so hard, you know, for us, especially after um, after the divorce. You know, uh, my mom moved to Florida. There was nothing that she could, I couldn't ask of her that she wouldn't try her, you know, she wouldn't give her all to try to provide for her kids. Um, and so whenever, you know, you, they talk about seeing a black queen, you know, and understanding, I was like, the song has just always spoke to me from the day that I first heard it. So that's favorite song. I could put that on repeat. Okay, good stuff. It is a jam. You are appreciated. Yes. All right. Last question, man. Just random, random question. How can you tell if someone is a nerd? Man, okay. Usually you can tell if someone is a nerd by what they watch um, and the things that they laugh at. You know, it may be something. Uh, for example, uh, what's the name of the, the sitcom? Um, the main character's name is Sheldon. Um, Damn, I'm a nerd. Oh my goodness! What is it? Uh, Big Bang. Big Bang. Big, Big Bang. Bang. Hey man. Yes. In my opinion, that if is one like of the show, funniest nerd, shows. <laughs> I'm a nerd, man. Listen, I'm a nerd because when I tell yes. you, I see, I saw every episode, man. Right. Love, love the show. I thought it if was you can, so yeah. Well, if you can written. catch half of what Sheldon is saying, or any of his uh, nerd friends are saying, if you catch any of that, like. Yeah, you, 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 sir, are a nerd. <laughs> like, I guess I'm a nerd. It sounds like you might be a little bit of a nerd, too, though. Man, I am a nerd, man. I listen, okay. and I'm listening, and I'm like, and I catch the jokes, and I was like, that's funny. And, it, and it's meant to be, uh, it's meant not to be funny to, for everyone else that's not catching it. You it's meant to it. be funny that they're not, that they think that it's funny. Uh, but if right. you catch it, you're like, no, that's funny. I don't know what's wrong with you people over here. <laughs> so. Hey, man, I'm going to be honest with you, man. That's that's definitely in in my top 10 shows all the yes. time. Absolutely. That show is funny, man. That show and is it's funny. Also, right. it's also a good, uh, it's also a good example of the nerd can, the nerd will get the girl. There so. it is. <laughs> there it is. Sheldon got, not Sheldon, uh, Leonard. Leonard yeah. ended up with Penny. Even Sheldon ended up with a woman. It's crazy, See? man. Well, <laughs> it's crazy. All right, here we go. We get into this last segment. You didn't ask. 
what unsolicited advice would you like to share for you didn't ask? I'd probably say stop, stop offering in your opinion um, um, about a problem in your community if you're not willing to get, you know, get out there and do something about it. If you're not willing to get waist deep into developing solutions or, uh, you know, supporting uh, the solution with your time and your treasure, with your volunteerism, um, nobody wants to hear somebody just complaining about things, especially when they have been afforded, especially when they have been afforded the means uh, and the access um, to do something. You know, these things that God, God has provided for us, all these blessings, they're meant for a purpose greater than just us being comfortable, right? And that requires sometimes that we got to get out of our uncomfortable space and do something for other people. Doing things for other people is not a very comfortable thing because sometimes they don't even know that they need those things. And you have to tell them or convince them. But yeah, people need, it's time to, you know, from an advice standpoint, find a problem in your community, get involved, get active, you know, get behind the people who have a solution. So that's my advice. Cause I hate a complainer. There it is. You didn't ask, but there it is. You didn't ask, but there it is. <laughs> Dion Darset, president of the Houston Area Urban League Young Professionals. Brother, thank you for your time. Welcome to the network. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me, brother.